This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 31. This is Writing Excuses, the agent in the room. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Don Juan. I'm Piper. And I'm not the agent in the room. No, that's <laughs> no. me. Yes, it is. Yeah. We Wee. have an agent in the room, and uh, before we allow him to leave, we're going to make him answer a bunch of questions. Um, which first you, one. Which you asked, fair fair listener. Yes. We have, uh, this question showed up quite a bit when we did our little, you know, survey of listeners. Uh, we tend to think that most of you listen because you want to be writers, but there's apparently more than a couple that listen because they potentially want to work in other aspects of the industry as editors or agents or whatever. And so, first question for Dongwon, if somebody wants to be an agent, how do they go about that? Terrible mistake. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. It, See, you say that, but you were something else and then decided to become an agent instead. So. Well, actually, I was an agent first. So my mm-hmm. first job in publishing was at an agency. Uh, and then I decided I didn't like selling books and I wanted to buy them instead. So I became an editor. Uh, then ebooks were a thing. So I be- started working in an ebook uh, startup before I came back to being an agent and wanted to work with writers more closely. It's a non-linear kind of security story. Um, and, and part of the challenge in answering this question is if you ask five agents how they became an agent, they all usually have a very different answer. Yes. Um, if there is a track, um, it's basically that you get an internship at an agency and then get hired as an assistant, either at that agency or another agency, and then over time grow it until the point at which you can start taking on your own clients. Um, where this gets very tricky and the part that people don't talk about a lot is that each agency has a very different structure of how agents get paid, right? So there's there's a thing that's called a draw. So sometimes the agency will give you a certain amount of money and then you earn that back out of the commissions that you earn for the agency. And how much of a percentage is counted towards that depends on your deal with each agency. So that can be anywhere from like 25% on the very, very low end to you know 60 to 70% on the high end. Um, so figuring all those kind of elements out is really important. And the biggest challenge to being an agent in the early years is that it takes a while for that income stream to build up because you're not earning a salary often right out of the gate. And then it's hard to get those first few deals going while you're looking for clients. And then once you do sell your first books, then, you know, $100,000 sounds like a really great deal. It is a really great deal. But your commission of that, so whatever percentage you get to keep out of the 15% that goes to the agency, that's parceled out usually over two, three, even five years. So it takes time for that income stream to build up. And usually about year five, year six is when you're trying to get something that looks like a more livable wage. So getting into being an agent is a very difficult process in a lot of ways. Um, I think it sounds very attractive and easy from the outside. Um, but you know, the financial side of it, especially can be quite tricky. Um, and one of the things that we need to look at as an industry is making that a little bit easier for people to get into the business, because I think we're keeping a lot of interesting voices out of the industry and out of being agents and representing writers from a wider range of backgrounds, because the type of person who comes in tends to be relatively limited. So if somebody wants to do this, what angle of approach do they come in? Are there people they have to talk to? Is it all about networking? What, what's, what do those first steps look like? 
Uh, I think networking is the most important one, right? So unfortunately, almost all these jobs are in New York. They're t- starting to spread out a little bit more, especially on the agency side. Uh, but what you want to do is go to events where you can meet agents, meet editors, meet writers even, who can help you be introduced to some of the decision makers who might be hiring. Um, and that's how you hear about new jobs. It's how you hear about opportunities. So networking really is number one for what you need here. Um there are a couple uh, paid programs like the Columbia program and uh, NYU that that are sort of paths into publishing. And those can be ways to meet people. They can be quite expensive. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure that they're always effective or necessary, but those can help if you're willing to go that path. I think one of the things I want to jump on and say is that you don't have to choose to be an agent <laughs> or a writer. I know several of the agents that, I've run into over time are both authors and agents. And in fact, I've had several editors ask me if I ever wanted to become an agent. (laughs) So I happened to ask this exact question to my agent, Courtney Miller Callahan, of how does one normally become an agent? And she basically said exactly what you said. Generally speaking, there's an apprenticeship or an internship, depending on the agency. Agencies are structured in a different way. I think the only thing that differs, and I'd be really interested in getting your opinion on that, is that she actually um, did spend some time in publishing first, in fact, in the contracts department, Mm -hmm. um, prior to starting to pursue an agent career. And I personally have benefited from that because she's excellent with my contracts. But what do you think about people who potentially are getting um, experience with the publishing houses first or other types of education? For me, having a wide range of experiences in the industry has been really, really helpful, right? Understanding what things look like from the editor's side, how the internal conversation publishers work. You know, all agents understand that to some extent because you deal with it a lot. But having been in the room is a very different vibe than somebody explaining it to you, right? So, you know, I think having a wide range of experience can help a lot. But the thing about agents especially is we all have different strengths and weaknesses, which are more varied than you see in most industries, I think. Uh, How agent A versus agent B does their job can be really night and day. Um, And what skill sets they bring to the table is really defined by their background and their experience. So, you know, coming from a contracts background, uh, your agent probably has a slightly different perspective on how some of those arguments happen in-house. Whereas to me, you know, I'm good with the contracts. I know what I'm doing there, but I don't always understand when a contracts person comes back to me and says, we can't do X or Y, like why they're coming to that decision. It's a a little bit of a black box to me sometimes. And I would love if I knew more about that process. That said, um, you know, we all have different areas that we come from and different expertises. And, you know, part of the process is really figuring out what you need from an agent and how they can best support you in your career and picking someone who has that skill set that is uh, congruent with yours. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Cool. I want to pause here for the book of the week, uh, which this week is one of mine. Uh, my book, Extreme Makeover, uh, which I chose specifically because it was one that my agent had a ton of uh, input into, and more so than any of my other books. The initial manuscript for this was uh, well over 200,000 words, and then she helped me trim it down to 180, and then, of course, you know, the final version after it got edited was like 120. Is, is uh, 200 the one that I read before it had been agented? No, you read the 180. Okay. So the agent had uh, helped clean it up and helped really So what I guide. read had been cleaned up. Yes. Okay. Yes, it had. <laughs> I'm um, a terrible friend. <laughs> I wait. What I read had been cleaned up. Uh, no, I I liked it. I really liked that book, and I was reading the version that is longer and unnecessarily so than yeah. the one that you, fair listener, well, could and, be and reading. The, uh, the, the, final ver- the, the initial version, the first draft, was a big, giant mess. And I have always used my agent primarily for business stuff. And this was the first time that I went to her and said, hey, this is a mess. And she's like, yeah, uh, help me clean it up. And, you know, with working with her, we wrangled that into a very good story that was kind of unpublishably long. And so we got that down to 180 and then turned it in. And uh, Whitney Ross at Tor Books uh, trimmed it down again. But uh, that agent relationship is really valuable, and you, people get different things out of agents. I typically don't use them for editorial, but in this case, I did. Uh, so that's my book, Extreme Makeover. You should go listen to it or buy it because it's awesome. Uh, but that leads us into the second half of our podcast, which is how does an agent and an author, how do they work together? Uh, and I, I want to guide this talk a little more specifically. Um, what is the process, you know, at what point, I, we, we talk a lot about submitting to an agent and the agent saying, okay, this looks good, please send me more of it. From that point on until the point where you actually sign with an agent, what does that period of time look like? Uh, in my case, unfortunately, it often looks like a very long delay while I find the time to <laughs> read the book that I'm excited to read. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of things go into that. Uh, the first is reading that manuscript and seeing how you feel about it. Um, and then sort of looking into the person a little bit. I'll often Google them, take a look at the social media profile. And there I'm not looking for, do you have a big following? I'm just trying to get a sense of who this person is, right? A thing I talk about a lot is that I like to work. I, I work with people. I don't work with projects, right? Mm-hmm. I sign a client, not a book. Um, so what I'm looking for is, are we going to get along well as as, as people and as business partners? Um are you someone that I feel like I can communicate with? Are we going to be having fun together? Honestly, like you want that relationship to be one that has uh, a certain energy to it and a certain excitement to it, um, especially at the beginning when you're just figuring all that stuff out. So um, a lot of times I'm looking into who that person is and uh, do I feel like they have a lot to bring to the table in addition to just the words, right? Do they Are they ambitious? Do they have career plans? You know, do they give off an air of competence and confidence in the world? I can say Courtney Miller Callahan, who is my agent, was also aware of me on social media prior to our connecting. Uh, and in fact, I had tweeted, uh, retweeted a blog post about, you know, just addressing when authors want agents versus not and had 
lightly given my opinion that I personally would be looking for an agent when I had a manuscript to do so. And she tweeted back at me and said, hey, drop me an email when you're ready to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And of course, the assumption was, of course, I would know her email, which she was correct. I did. Um, (laughs) And so I sent her an email. And before I had, you know, and I tried to stay really, really obvious. I did not have a manuscript ready yet. Mm -hmm. But she uh, got on the phone with me anyway, and she had a conversation with me anyway. She was already familiar with my work. And because of that in our conversation, and she knew that there were a couple of other agents who were interested in working with me, but they were waiting for me to have a manuscript to send. She kind of maybe took advantage of that situation a little bit. No, I'm kidding. Um, But she did offer me representation without a manuscript, and she kind of placed a bet on a dark horse. I've kind of done that a lot, actually. But she, you say she was familiar with your work. Yeah. Yes, that's, she was familiar with my work. That's, that's not that's not the unknown quantity that you make it sound sound like. True. If an agent if an agent knows that you have written things uh, indie or you know with another agency or whatever, they have a really strong sampling of what they can get from you mm-hmm. when your next manuscript arrives. Mm-hmm. True. And she was familiar with my voice that way. And I will say that one of the things that she does look for in all of her clients is a sort of quirky sort of voice. So it's not nailed down by genre per se so much as she's looking for um certain quirks that match her her mm-hmm. taste and her personality. And she says that a lot of times when it comes to selling books, you know, she knows which editors have mm-hmm. similar taste to hers. And so they are things that are marketable, eminently so, but also quirky. They hit, a, they strike a chord that's unique and mm-hmm. individual while still being I mean, the thing is, I'm looking for that thing, right? That spark of energy and uniqueness and point of view. So I, I often will take a bet on um, you know, someone who hasn't written a novel yet. And I'm happy for that to be a very long-term bet, right? Five, seven years before that is going to be a book that we have out in the world. But I know from talking to this person and, and seeing this person and seeing, you know, either short stories they've written or awards they've won or, or you know, even podcasts they've done that they're going to do something interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help them get there. And if I get in early, then I can really help shape those early steps and hopefully get to the way they want to go in a more exciting way than if I hadn't been involved. Yeah. Cool. So this leads into the next question. And I love the way one of our listeners phrased this. At what point in this relationship do you talk about the, quote, sticky stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, this is all a lot of business. This is a lot of projects. But at what point do you start talking about you know, personal beliefs, morals, politics, mm-hmm. religion, you know, the the things that make that author who they are and how will that be reflected in the career? At what point do you bring that up in an agent relationship? So whenever I'm looking at signing somebody and bringing them on board, um, I make sure that we have a phone conversation. There's, there's it, at a minimum, you want to have at least one conversation. There are times where I have three to four to five to, you know, sometimes, you know, m- months long that we're talking um, uh, or even years in a couple of cases. Um, and, you know, when you have that in-person conversation, when when I call to start talking about, like, are we going to work together? That's the point at which you want to start asking those questions, right? And what I love more than anything to see is when a writer challenges me in those conversations and really asks me the difficult questions about communication style, about morals and ethics, about, you know, financial issues. What happens if this thing goes bad? What happens if that thing goes bad? Uh, what happens if, you know some random event or, you know, you get in trouble on Twitter or what are your views on this or how do you feel about these things? Those are interesting conversations to have and they're really important conversations to have because 
ideally, an agent is a business partner you're going to have for mm -hmm. decades, right? So why wouldn't you want to know more about those scenarios before you get into it? Yeah, and that's something that, uh, you know, at one point I was at a con talking about agents and how to find agents, and somebody in the audience kind of pulled out the the Freakonomics anecdote about the real estate agent, right? Like, it's in their financial interest to give you the best deal early because then they get their money quick and they're not in it for the long haul. And he's like, aren't agents the same? No, not in the least tiny bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I can think of very few people, including the Writing Excuses team, that are as closely partnered in and invested in my career as my agent. Uh, we work together very closely and it's a very long-term thing. Yeah, the, the difference there is that the the agent, I mean, if if Dong Wan were to begin representing me, um, I don't have a manuscript for him. I, I wish I did. This would be a, this would be this conversation would be much more entertaining. <laughs> okay, um, Dong Wan and I would be having conversations about you know where he's planning on shopping it, what maybe mm -hmm. I need to do to refine it. Uh, what plans do I have after this manuscript? Because if, when it sells, that is going to open some new doors, it, it's going to close every door for that you know that it didn't sell to for sequels potentially, and yeah. and that that conversation is all about repeat business. Yeah. Okay, I say repeat business. It's not repeat business when I have partnered with somebody. It is a partnership. Your exactly. real estate agent is not a business partner. Your real estate agent is a used car salesman with something that doesn't have wheels. Yeah, I mean, we are our real estate agents. If your real estate agent was also helping you renovate your house, was also helping you design what your lawn is, was also considering, like, how do we rebuild the neighborhood around you to be more suitable for your, you know, like, mm -hmm. what and you're going to be buying is, and you're going to be buying a new house every 18 every, months. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, um, that conversation is really, really important. And that that finding those elements um, in that conversation that can really make you stand out. And for me as an agent, help me stand out as well. I had a case this last summer uh, where I was talking to a potential client and she was in the very enviable position of having 16 agents offering representation at once. Dang. Uh, wow. And uh, she wrote in a category that I had never represented. Um, and so it was a really interesting set of conversations that we had about why me? Why should I be in this race at all, much less the person who ended up winning it? And all that came down to the conversations that we had, right? Um, all that came down to my strategic vision, my vision for the book, and, you know, what was coming down the road for her in five years and 10 years. And we just really hit it off and had a really wonderful conversation about all the potential things that we could be doing. And, you know, it, it's it's... It's an opportunity for me as much as it is an opportunity for the writer. And the thing to remember, that if there's any one thing you take away from this particular podcast, is to remember that as soon as an agent offers representation, the power dynamic completely inverts. The power is now in your hands. It's now your decision, right? You know, up until then, you're trying to get an agent's attention. But always remember, it's your work. It's your career. And you are effectively hiring an agent. I work for my writers, not the other way around. They pay me quite literally for what I do. So, you know, when you're having that conversation, think about that. It's like that old uh, old saying about like, when you go in for a job interview, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing mm -hmm. you. And that's true in that case too. So think of the hard questions. Think of the things you really want to know about how this partnership is going to work over the long term. 
Yeah. And uh, in fact, that's something we want you to start thinking about right now, even if you're not at the point where you need an agent. So that's your homework today. And Dong Wan is going to tell you how to do that. Uh, yeah. So what I would like you to do is start making that list of questions, right? Start making a list of the strategic questions you want answers to, the moral and ethical things, the communication style elements. Uh, make a list of five to 10 questions. What's important to you? What are the things that matter in your career? What are you afraid of in terms of your relation with your agent? And don't be afraid of asking difficult questions because if you ask a potential agent a hard question or an uncomfortable question and they react badly, then what happens when that situation actually arises and how can you trust them to have your back in that moment? So feel free to go hard and go big. Awesome. Great advice. And we hope that you've learned some good stuff about how to work with agents and potentially how to be one. So uh, you are now out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragon Steel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 